I want to start off this morning by uh, asking a question. And the cool thing about this question is there's no wrong answer. Now, isn't that great? When you come across those, it's not very often, but every once in a while, there'll be a question that's asked that there's no wrong answer. So uh, finals weeks are coming up here for some of the college students. High school kids probably have finals. You certainly have tests towards in the air. Wouldn't it be great if on all the tests the question was such that there was no wrong answer? Maybe you're at work and you've got to take some exam to, to move up to the next level. Wouldn't it be great if the question was such that there were no wrong answers? Or kids, your, your parents ask you a question sometime and there's no wrong answer. Wouldn't that be good if that was the case? Well, I'm going to ask a question to start off with that doesn't have a wrong answer. All it has is your answer. So so here it is, and I'm going to ask for just a little bit of participation. What I need is to know what your favorite Bible verse is. Now, you can you can do one of two things. You can just tell me what it is, or you can, if you want to quote it and impress me and everyone else, you can do that as well. But anyone, a favorite Bible verse. We'll see how, how, how long this goes. I, hand in the back. Okay. The bad thing is the first person quoted the verse, so that's going to put a lot of pressure on the rest of you. But you don't have to. Dave, I saw that hand. Perfect. That's another great one. I saw another hand start up here. Man. And it's okay really to say just the verse. If you're, you know, I'm, I'm okay. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. There you go. She picked a short one. No. Anyone else? I, I've got to have a couple more. Can I get a right answer? You know, actually, you guys are impressing me. You're all quoting them. So uh, I got a hand way in the back, Christine. Thing. That may be the only Old Testament. One. No, I was the first one was Old Testament too. Cool. That's a good one, Neil. Neil's such a suck-up, isn't he? Because he knows we're in John, and that was the first sermon. He's trying to make up for talking last week that he liked the band better than me. So it's working, Neil. It's working. Anyone else? What was that? John 8.32, and it says? There you go. I thought you were going to say, I, you said I didn't have to say. Okay, I'm a little disappointed. Hey, great answers. I was waiting for someone to say John 3.16. I know some of you, that probably is your favorite verse. If not your favorite verse, that's probably a verse that that you at least memorized. One of the very first ones you memorized was John 3.16. If nothing else, you sing it when you uh, sing to your kids when they were little. Uh, we're going to look over the next three weeks from, from the, the book of John in chapter 3, and we're going to do a series called Three on Three, So, and then we'll kind of continue on in the book of John. But we're going to look at three kind of pivotal, foundational, important, pillar-type verses that we see in John chapter 3. Uh, one of them is the, the, the verse we'll look at today, or we'll look at a section, uh, but, it, but it finishes in verse 3. That's kind of a pivotal. Next week, we'll look at John 3.16, and then... The week after that, we'll look at verse verse 17 from John chapter 3. And what we see there is, is they're all kind of tied to John 3.16. The, the verses that we're going to look at today 
Jesus kind of culminates the idea that he's talking about that, that he comes up with in chapter 3, verse 3. He, he, he brings it to fruition in verse 16. And then the last week we'll look at verse 17 that kind of points back and adds a little bit of application to what we learn in verse 16. So over the next three weeks we'll look at John chapter 3 and see these verses. So today, three on three, but today the, the sermon is the, the question. The question. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John, Gospel of John, chapter 3, and let's just read the first three verses. And I, what I want you to look for is I want you to look for the question. There's a question that comes up in these verses. So, uh, so follow along and see if you get that question. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. That would have been the Sanhedrin. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform a miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can come to the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Did you, did you notice the question? Well, if you didn't, that's okay, because it doesn't seem to be one. There, there really is a Nicodemus here. Actually, you don't see it in words, but he asked a veiled question. Of Jesus. Jesus would have understood that there was really a question going on kind of in the background of that. It, it comes from the statement that we see there in, in verse 2 when he, ta- when he talks to Jesus, but it actually was a question. Now, the reality is if you didn't know who Nicodemus was, now, and maybe some of you don't, so we'll, we'll, uh, we'll kind of talk about that a little bit more, but if you didn't know who Nicodemus was, if you didn't know his background, if you didn't know that he was a member uh, of the group of religious leaders that found themselves at odds with Jesus, they were the ones that gave Jesus the, the, the most difficulty. They were the ones calling for Jesus, uh, ultimately his crucifixion. They tried a couple different times to have him arrested. They, the, the group that he was a part of, man, they stood in the, at the back of crowds just waiting for Jesus to mess up. They asked him questions, trying to trick him. That Nicodemus was part of that group. You wouldn't catch it from the comment that he makes there, but he is. He was a, a Pharisee. A Pharisees were a group of relig- religious leaders that were highly trained in religious thought. They, their job, what, what they did day in and day out was study the law and figure out how the law applied to people and, and figured out how the law applied to others as, and, and sometimes they even applied it to themselves. But their whole, their whole existence was knowing about the law and putting it into practice and making sure that everyone else understood it and then judging them and making sure they were putting it in practice as well. That's, that's who he was. But not just that. He wasn't just part of the Pharisees. He was part of the, the head of the Pharisees, uh, the head of that whole religious group that had Pharisees and Sadducees, the Sanhedrin. That was a, a group of men and they were, they were like the Supreme Court for the whole land of Israel. So if you didn't know that about Nicodemus, if you just read these verses and you didn't read verse 1, if all you did was read verse 2, let me read verse 2 again. This is what he said. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. If that's all you heard and you didn't know anything else about Nicodemus, you would, you would, you would assume that he is simply making a statement of faith. You would assume that Nicodemus was a follower of Jesus. You would have thought 
Hey, maybe this guy's one of the 12. Maybe this guy was one of the ones that were following Jesus every day right there with him the whole time. In fact, you would come away asking, uh, you'd come away asking the question here this morning, where's the question? I don't, I don't see a question there. Overt or, or veiled, I really don't see a question. Let me point out, uh, two things about Nicodemus that were going on kind of behind the scenes that were, were part of who he was at that, that point. And, and I think as we see these two things, we'll begin to understand, uh, what was happening when we came to Jesus that night. And, and actually, what comes from that understanding is the realization that he asked a question. That he was asking a question. So that bell question was there. The reality is, is Nicodemus wanted to know. He, he needed to know. So when he came to Jesus at night, that, uh, that, that evening, he wanted to know, Jesus, who are you? Jesus would have uh, probably right off the bat picked up on the tension and the internal struggle that Nicodemus was going through. Uh, he, he would have realized the conflict that was kind of going on, maybe partly because he came to him at night, partly because they were off by themselves. And, but, but just what, what all was happening, Nicodemus, Jesus knew who Nicodemus was, so he, he kind of understood w- when he said, hey, Rabbi, that, that something was going on there. See, Nicodemus, we believe, sometimes the, the Pharisees tried to trick Jesus, but Nicodemus was probably sincere here. We'll, we'll look at some verses later on that kind of hammer that point home. But, but there's a couple things he says here that points out the fact that he was sincere and he really was searching. The first thing is this. When he came to Jesus, he said this, Rabbi. Now, that may not mean much to you. It may not mean a whole lot to me, but it would in that culture. But when, when you called someone rabbi, you were calling them teacher. You were calling them someone that was over you. You were, you were in, in the very essence saying, you're here and I'm here. I'm sitting at your feet. You, you studied under rabbi. So, so when Nicodemus said rabbi, and he could have said, he could have just said, hey, Jesus, I've got a question for you. Jesus, let me make a comment. But, but instead, he offered him, he offered him an honor, and, and, and he placed himself in, in a place of, of servitude to Jesus when he simply said, Rabbi, Rabbi. So, so Nicodemus came, and he needed to know. But, but he kind of doubles down a little bit. He says, uh, you are a teacher who has come from God. He, he, he didn't say, you're a teacher that came from, now what synagogue do you come from, Jesus? Now, I, 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 I probably know your rabbi, but what synagogue? He didn't say, hey, you're from the synagogue. He said, you're from God. So, so kind of understand his, kind of understand his heart, what was going on here. He was sincere. He needed to know who Jesus was. But you know what else was going on? He was afraid to ask. That, that's why you don't see a question there. He just makes a statement, but it really was a question. He just made it because he was afraid to ask. Have you ever been, have you ever been in a situation where you're afraid to ask a question that you just, you're, you're really dying to know the answer to? It's a burning question. You want, you, you kind of beat around the bush because you want someone to answer it for you. When I was in fifth grade, I barely can remember back that far, but when I was in fifth grade, I had my first crush. Any of you remember your first crush? Any of you married to your first crush? 
No one come really no one no no didn't date anyone from oh okay all right all right I, me either me either uh, but I remember my first crush we, we were at the first day of fifth grade and this cute little girl really knows who she is Tammy uh, what's her last name Tammy Crouch uh, well I forgot her last name Tammy Crouch walked in the door that day and she she was the the cutest little thing I'd ever seen until I saw my wife. Uh, Cute little blonde curls that bounced when she walked, and she had a beautiful uh, Pepsodent smile, or whatever the toothpaste was back then. It's, oh, and then I was smitten. I was smitten with Tammy Crouch, and I was fairly certain uh, about halfway through that year that Tammy Crouch might have been smitten with me. And I really wanted her to ask her to go steady with me. I don't know what that means when you're in fifth grade. But I, but I, wanted, I, I wanted her to be going steady with me, but I was afraid to ask. So I did. I, I pulled an end around. I did something that maybe you've done this before. Probably not the way I did it. See, I had a unique ace in the hole. I was I'm a twin, and so my twin sister was in my same class and was friends with Tammy. So I went up to my sister Mindy. Mindy, ask uh, Tammy if she'll go steady with me. So at recess that day, Mindy came running up to me. Great news! She said she will. That was right around Valentine's Day. Uh, I, I went home that day and said, Mom, I'm going steady with Tammy Crouch. I need to get her something for Valentine's Day. Bought a box of chocolates, and I took it to school the next day. I was going to give it to her on Valentine's Day. Mindy came to me, bad news. Tammy's not wanting to go steady with you anymore. <laughs> my first box of chocolates I gave to my fifth grade teacher. She thought I liked her, I guess. I don't know. And by the way, is this, no, don't say it, I'm going to say it. Um, I've told that story to my wife years ago. When she first met Tammy Crouch, she's like, I'm prettier than her. <laughs> and, and, and she is. Oh, yeah. All right, I'll turn the tape off and delete Facebook. I don't think there's many people in Illinois watching today. Mindy, if you're watching, that's my sister. Do not share that story. So, so maybe you've been, and really that's what's going on. Nicodemus wanted to ask Jesus, who are you? Are, are you the Messiah? That, that's really what it came down to. See, that was the veiled question. That was the question that was there, but wasn't really being asked. Um, are, are you really, are you really, the one are you the messiah that's why he called him teacher that's why he said you've come from god because he he had an inclination he thought he was because see here's the other thing he wanted to know but he also wanted to believe he he wanted to truly believe that jesus was was the messiah because that would change everything he had he had been talking about he'd been studying those old testament scriptures a couple of you guys threw those out he the old testament had been pointing towards jesus the whole time towards and he was like, are you the one? Am I going to see the fulfillment of that? So that's what he wanted to know. He wanted to believe that Jesus might be that one. But it says he came to him at night. There's a couple reasons that he came at night. I, we, we don't know. It, it could be that he came at night because he was, he was scared. He didn't want anyone else to... To, to see it. 
didn't want anyone else to know. In fact, let me, let me, I'm going to illustrate this. Right. Bruce, I, you, you, for a long time you sat on the other side, but you moved back here, so sorry. Would you and Sandy stand up for just a second? Sandy, I'm not going to embarrass you. You what? That's, Sandy is prettier than his first girlfriend. Is she here today? Fun. Okay. <laughs> now that one could be someone that knows, so don't repeat any of that. Sandy did not say that. So, hey, let me ask a question. You may get this the way I want you to say it. You may not. When, when you asked your lovely wife to, uh, to, to marry you, how many people were there with you? Zero. Just you, you two. Well, yeah, I figured you were there. You were there. Okay. I've got, okay. You, you can sit down. I don't know if they're young enough or not. Ben and Brittany, I'm going to stand up because we've noticed a change here. When, when you asked Brittany, I assume you asked Brittany and not the other way around. How many people were there? Okay. But just him. Just, okay. Okay. I didn't, they're, they're too old. You can sit down. I'm not going to keep going. Nowadays we film it. You have family there hiding in the bushes or, or, or maybe they're all there and it's all part of the thing. But, but back in our day, and I guess Ben's old soul there, uh, except for roommate, we did it by ourselves. Now, maybe there's a couple reasons. One, what if they say no? Cause you've all seen those fail videos where, you know, they ask them in, at a ball game and the lady says no or something like that. Nicodemus came to him at night, maybe in part because he was afraid what might happen, afraid what Jesus might say, probably more afraid of what other people would say. He was scared. Uh, maybe he came at night because he just wanted some privacy, just wanted to be he and Jesus. Uh, and, and maybe that's why a lot of us, it was just our, our, our spouse that we were going to ask were there. But we know that, and let me touch first just very quickly, we know that Nicodemus we see it later on in Scripture that Nicodemus just knew there was something about Jesus. If you hold John 3 open, uh, move back to John chapter 7. John, John chapter 7, verses 50 and 52. That is, uh, the, the Sanhedrin were debating. They were trying to get Jesus arrested. They had sent the temple guard to arrest Jesus. And the temple guard came back and said, man, this guy's something special. Look at verse, uh, verse 50. Nicodemus had gone to, to Jesus earlier and, uh, and who was the one of their own number asked, does our own law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it. You'll find that a prophet does not come from Galilee. So we see early on Nicodemus kind of standing up for Jesus. Now I'm not going to read, but if you want to kind of look down in, in John chapter 19, verses 38 to 40, this is after Jesus was crucified. When, when they went to pick up the body, of Jesus, Nicodemus was there with Joseph of Arimathea. So, so, so Nicodemus wanted to know. He wanted to believe. Church, maybe, uh, maybe one quick application here is uh, the world needs to see in in us. The world needs to see in our church, not. Uh, not rules and laws. See, that's what Nicodemus was surrounded by. That that was his whole life. And yet there was something about Jesus. What what the world needs to see in us. Now, now, now we don't dismiss rules. We don't dismiss that there's a law that we're to live by, that God has standards and morals and principles for us to stand up. We're not dismissing that at all. But, but Nicodemus saw in Jesus uh, actual love. He saw heartfelt compassion. And he saw unrelenting forgiveness 
uh, in, in people. He, he asks a veiled question. And then Jesus answers a question that wasn't asked. So, so really he's asking in verse two, who are you? Are, are you the Messiah? And then in verse three, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one comes to, can come, let me try to read better. Uh, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So Jesus answers a question that wasn't asked. It, it was a completely different question. Nicodemus must have, must have thought for a second, what, what? In fact, we'll, we'll talk about that here in a minute. What are you talking about, Jesus? I, I, I didn't really ask a question, although I kind of know that I was, but that's not the answer to the question that I really wanted answered for me. Jesus could have been tempted to, to come up to Nicodemus and put his arm around Nicodemus and say, hey, Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you got it right, man. You are so perceptive. You've realized who I am. Cause, cause Nicodemus was getting the idea that you, you figured out who I am. Uh, Nicodemus, you're gonna help me, uh, uh, you're gonna help me with those Pharisees. You're gonna, you're gonna convert some more of those Pharisees to follow me. And together we can knock this out. Together we can do some great things. But instead, Jesus answers a question that wasn't asked. Now, Nicodemus had asked a kingdom question. His question dealt with the kingdom. Is your, is your kingdom coming? Really what, what Nicodemus was asking was a question about religion. He was asking Jesus, are you going to reestablish Jerusalem as the throne? Are you going to bring God back in and, and kick the Romans out? Really, in essence, that's what he was, was asking. Are, are, are you going to, are you going to make the kingdom again? See, oftentimes we approach, we approach our faith and we approach uh, God and we approach our church and we approach our walk with Jesus. And we're a little bit like Nicodemus, and we end up asking kingdom questions. God, are you going to take care of my kingdom? Are you going to are you going to make my life easier? That's kind of what Nicodemus was saying. Jesus, if you're the one, then the kingdom's going to be pretty cool, and I'm going to be right in the middle of that. Oftentimes, we ask that same kingdom question. Jesus, make my kingdom okay. I, I want to live a life that's without heartache. I want to live a life that's without problems. I want to live a life that's without sadness or disappointment. Lord, I, 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 if I come to you, I'm going to live a life without failures. I'm going to live a life that, that is free of stress. I, boy, if I come to you, Jesus, if you make your kingdom in me, then, then I can live without financial issues or health problems or relational uh, struggles. Lord, let me come to you so none of that happens. The truth is, is when we know Jesus, oftentimes he does take away some of that stuff. But that's not what it's about. That, that's not what his answer was about. See, Jesus, Nicodemus asked a kingdom question. Jesus answered a heart question. Jesus' answer was about faith. Are you, are you beginning to understand, as we've looked here in the last, uh, last couple of years, are you beginning to understand that Jesus is less about kingdom the way we kind of defined it? He's less about churches and less about following rules and more about our heart. Not that those aren't important. Don't misunderstand. See, Jesus, Jesus doesn't care so much about some of the things that we care about. See, we care about, have I, and we check these boxes off. Have I gone to church? And for some of you, man, I, I was four out of four Sundays, or for some, it may be three out of four, or two out of four. Have I 
checked enough going to church boxes? If I have, whoo, Jesus is going to be happy with me. Have I given enough money? Uh, maybe it's 10%, maybe it's 15, maybe you feel, hey, I, I dropped a five in the offering, that's good. If, if, if I've checked that box off, then God's got to be happy with me, right? Maybe it's I've done enough good things, I have enough of a good heart, I've checked that box, God's happy with me. Or I've done enough service projects, I've really given myself to other people, boy, I've checked that box. And, and all that stuff is important, but Jesus is more about our heart. That's what he said, if you want to see the kingdom, then you have to be born again. Your heart has to change. Now, the reality is our heart changes. All of those things come in line. Then, then, then those boxes are checked. We don't have to worry about them, but, 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 but we're, we're in the kingdom in, in, in the church. We're, we're giving of ourselves and our finances, our time, our, our heart, our passion. Those, those things naturally follow when we understand that the question is about heart. And and finally, we'll close with as we see that last point is uh, he receives an answer he didn't understand. That that answer was Nicodemus came away. What? Notice it's basically what he says, verse four. How can a man be born when he's old? And he goes into how can can you go back in and be born a second time? And then down in verse nine, that Jesus explains a little bit more. Verse nine, he says. How can this be? Now, Jesus goes on as we, we, we will see next week in John 3.16 and kind of brings it all home. But he's asking, how can it be? How can it be? He asks a veiled question. Then, then Jesus answers a question that wasn't even asked, but was the real question that needed to be asked. Where's your heart? And now he comes away just a little bit confused. What? What do I do now? Johnny guys can come up. When I was uh when I was a kid, we would go once or twice a summer to a, a baseball game in Bush Stadium in St. Louis. Grew up a big Cardinals fan. Um uh so a couple times a year dad would load up the family. There were six of us kids and 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 mom went along just to help watch us because she didn't really care about the game, but but the, the, we, all I had is to jump in the station wagon. We'd drive over to St. Louis and go to Cardinals game. And, and uh, things have changed a little bit since I was a kid because I would, I would find our way to our seats. And normally our seats were in the upper deck. Dad was buying eight tickets and we didn't have a lot of money. And so he bought the cheapest tickets that he could get. And so we were in the upper deck. But I would sit and watch about two innings of the ball game. Then I would get up and say, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll be back in a little bit. And I would wander around the stadium. I mean, how, how many of you would let your third or fourth grader just take off at, at Royal Stadium? And I'll be back by about eighth inning, Dad. <laughs> uh, some of you wanted to say, yes, I would, but you, you know, you'd be judged if you raised your hand. So, uh, but man, my parents, and I don't know if they, I don't know what the deal. I don't know if they thought, hey, I've got six kids. I lose once, no big deal. Uh, they'll send him back. We'll pick him up at the next game. I don't know what their thinking was, but, but I would wander the stadium. I'd come out. If any of you were at Old Bush Stadium, I'd come out. Uh, up in the upper deck out in center field and there was never anyone sitting in those, those top upper deck seats. I'd come out and I'd stand there and watch the game for a little while there until someone chased me off and then I'd find my, well, my, myself down a little bit lower. But one thing I could never do, one place I could never access was the box seats. It's not like that. I don't know if the new bus stadium's like this or not, but, but the lower seats, the, the box seats, the ones closest to the field, you could not get there unless you had a ticket to those seats. I mean, there were, uh, 
I thought they were armed guards. I'm sure they weren't. But there were guys standing there. And unless you produced the ticket, you didn't get down there. And, and I would, in my uh, travels around the stadium, I would find myself standing at that edge, looking down at those, those bottom, I don't know, 20 rows or whatever, thinking, oh, wow, if I could only sit down here. If I could sit down here, I could, during batting practice, I could yell at Tim McCarver, hey, Tim. I really, this is what I was going to do if I ever got one of those seats. Hey, Tim. Hey, Tim. And when he looked at me, I was going to say, I have the same name. And I, I envisioned him coming over and saying, well, come on down the dugout. We got, hey, guys got the same. Yeah, that probably wouldn't happen, but that was my dream. And I could sit there and I could see Dow Maxwell or Lou Brock or, or Kurt Flood, any of those, any of my, my I could have been right down, by, but, but there was a, a, a deal that stopped me from gaining access. I think Ray and I were married, or, or at least dating, but I believe it was the summer after we got married that I sat in those seats for the very first time. And I found out something as a kid I never knew. Anyone could sit down there. Anyone could go sit in those seats. So we got tickets, and we were on the first row. Now, we were down right field line. Uh, if you know Old Bush Stadium, the, the bullpens were... Uh, on, in foul territory, they weren't out in the in the end. They were right along. There's a couple stadiums still have it right along. We were right by one of the bullpens, and in fact, I hollered. I think it was uh, uh, I can't remember the guy Latell. Did they have lead pitcher Latell, Latell, something like that? Uh, I think it was him. I hollered at, "Hey, throw me a baseball!" And and he looked at me and then threw one to my wife. And I'm like, "Hey, that's good enough." <laughs> but but we sat with with my sister Mindy and Dennis. We sat there. Anyone could sit in those seats if you're willing to pay the price. See, that's why that's what I didn't know early on. That's why we never sat there because they they cost a lot. So we sat up in the two dollar seats or whatever they were back then, probably less than that. We sat in the cheap seats because Dad couldn't afford the good seats. But everyone had access if the price was paid. Nicodemus came to Jesus asking a question. Who are you? Are you the one? I, I, I want to know. I need to know. I want to, I want to believe in you. I want to know what's happening. Jesus kind of flipped it and said, well, what you really need to do is have your heart changed. Is to be born again. We'll, we'll, we'll see really in the next two weeks what Jesus talks about is, hey, there's access. Anyone can come. Anyone can come, but it comes with a price. It comes with a price. And Jesus said, I'm the price. I paid for the ticket. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you this morning that you call on us to simply be born again, to come to know you. And all we have to do is accept your mercy and your grace, and we have unlimited and full and complete access Father Nicodemus came to Jesus with a pure heart and a true heart, wanting to know, wanting to figure out who he was. Father, we, we come sometimes to, to, to this church. We come before your throne and we want to know who you are and we want to know what you need us to do. And, and really it just comes down to the simple message of, of the gospel, that Jesus went to the cross for us, that you showed your love for us by sending him. And all we have to do is say, Lord, take my heart and make it new. Father, just uh, touch each and every one here today. Lord, help us all know to ask the right question. 
to follow the right answer. In Jesus' name.